Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. I welcome you back to another edition of Around with Randall. Today's part three of our four-part series on planned giving. And in the first podcast in this series, we talked about some of the challenges that come with planned giving, and one of which was it's legal and complicated. And so the two middle podcasts, two and three, the one before this and this one, are designed to make it easier to help overcome maybe that thought process that's too challenging. We talked about two particular things, two particular instruments in planned giving last time. The first was bequests and then annuities. Today, as promised, we're going to talk about trusts. But interestingly, in the last 10 days, I've had two questions that related to another type of instrument. And because of that, I thought maybe it'd be smart to throw it in here as an educational piece. So today, the conversation is trusts, charitable remainder trusts, CRTs, and bargain sales, which is about land. Let's take charitable remainder trusts first. And in some ways, depending on how they're set up, they may look and feel like an annuity that we talked about, a charitable annuity that we talked about last time. In some ways, they're very similar, but in other ways, they're different. So let's start with the basics, make it really simple, because it really is. No one's asking a gift officer or an organization to draft the contractual obligation that comes with a charitable remainder trust or charitable annuity. What we're talking about is being able to know just enough when somebody says certain things, you know how to respond. And you have a little bit of the information that's necessary just to have an appropriate level conversation. Trust. So let's jump into that one first, charitable remainder trust. It is also a legal instrument. It's a contract that has benefits for the person making it as well as a charity. The trust is built out to do a couple things. Number one, to get money out of an estate, which can help with tax implications if the estate's big enough, and provide a steady stream of income or revenue for a beneficiary. Most of the time, it's probably the person or the couple who gave it, but it could be for a child or a grandchild or someone of that nature. So let's kind of break this apart. What generally happens is a pool of money or assets, could be stock, could be other things, is taken from an individual or let's say a couple and is put into a trust. And the idea is, is that that trust is going to pay, we'll talk about this here in a moment, money to the beneficiary, whoever's named, over a period of time, usually maximum of about 20 years. And at the end, whatever's left is going to go to the charity, which you may say, well, gosh, it doesn't that sound like a, 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 an instrument like what we talked about last time in some type of charitable annuity. The difference here is well, last time we said the money is given to the charity and they manage it, invest it, hold it, and make the payments. With a charitable remainder trust, an outside trustee is usually named. So it could be a bank, could be an an individual, could be an investment house. 
And the reason they do that is they have more investment opportunities. If you remember, we said that the that their standards, the, the, the percentage is set nationally with charitable annuities. That depending on your age or the the, the donor's age or the donor in a couple, so the a two life scenario, those are absolutely locked in. There's no advantage from one charity to another because by law they have to all be the same depending on the age, birth date really, of the person or people that are making that possible. With a trust, that's totally different. The trust can invest that money however it deems appropriate. It could be more aggressive. It could be less aggressive. Really, it's dependent on who the individuals choose as the trustee officer or trustee entity to manage that investment. So let's take an example. Let's say that a person has a great deal of wealth and they want to guarantee themselves some income. So they take a million dollars out of their uh, world out of their personal assets, place it in this trust instrument, and then it's invested. And every year they will receive a payment. They would have received a taxable donation to a certain level for the money coming in. And some of the money coming out is going to be for an income on an annual basis, going to be tax free. But it gets a little bit more interesting. Remember, with charitable annuities, we talked about the idea of it. A percentage is set. There are two options with a trust that are a little bit different. Number one, we talked about somebody else can invest it. They could be more aggressive. But we also have the option of taking two types of payments. One is the annuity, meaning we set a percentage, excuse me, a dollar figure that's going to come out every year. So let's use that million dollars. And we say we want $10,000 a year. So a 1% return. Seems pretty easy. You could also say we want a 10% return, which would be $100,000. Well, that puts a lot more pressure on the investments to make sure they're making enough money. No matter how those investments do, if you set the dollar figure, that money is paid to you Every year. That's what's called a CRAT, Charitable Remainder Annuity Trust. And all it means is, is that a dollar figure is set. With that, we could also run out of money. Let's say you had the 10%, a million dollars put in, $100,000 payment per year. And in five years, you lost X percent of the, of the investments because the stock market did badly you actually could run out of money in that instance. And when that happens, generally, it means the charity doesn't get anything. And it becomes more dependent on the trustee to be really good at investing, to controlling that original amount of dollars coming in, that million dollars, and investing it wisely. That's a CRAT, Charitable Remainder Annuity Trust. A CRUT, C-R-U-T, Unitrust, is, is we set a percentage. We just say it's going to be 8% per year. So let's take an example. The same million dollars goes in the first year, 8% would be $80,000. Let's say the trustee does a great job of investing and they make 20%. So we'll take away the distribution. 
a million dollars invested, 20% return, that becomes a $1.2 million corpus or trust. And they, the, the beneficiaries get 8% of it. So the amount every year could be different, could be higher, could be lower, but there's a lot less chance of it running out of money because it's only going to be a percentage of whatever's left at a certain time frame every year, the same. It's not any more complicated than that. The benefits are, as mentioned, you get some tax benefits immediately or the person making the contribution. They have the ability to have a different investment strategy with that trustee. There's a benefit for the charity, although sometimes it's unknown how much that money will be at the end of that term, even though they can do some planning for it. And one of the downsides to consider is it's a lot more complicated. You have to find the trustee. Everyone has to agree to the terms. Uh, usually smaller type investment vehicles don't work. Dollar figures, really. A $10,000 charitable remainder trust doesn't make any sense. But a $10,000 charitable annuity would because it's pooled together. It's much easier for the charity to manage that. So it's also not as advantageous. You get more out of charitable deductions with the annuity, charitable annuity, rather than the the trust, because there's more variability with the trust, more unsured times to come. We don't know how much the investments are going to be. So there's a lot of things at play here. The real key is, is that when, and we'll talk about this a lot more next time, is is that people, when they say, I want to guarantee income, this is an option. Particularly if they're like, I want more than three and a half or 4% or whatever the level is, that a charitable annuity prescribes, a charitable trust, remainder trust, allows there to be that option. So that's just a high-level conversation about trusts. And what I'm hoping is, is that all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I kind of have a little bit better understanding of this, making it less scary, so to speak. The other one, instrument I wanted to talk today about just for a minute or two is the idea of a bargain sale. And this is something I haven't seen as often in my career, but it's becoming more prevalent because of the increasing costs dramatically, particularly over the last two, three years of real estate. All a bargain sale is, is the sale of a piece of land for less than its fair market value, what it would be on the market for. And the remainder is basically a charitable deduction. So let's take, a, let's take an example. Let's say there's a piece of land that's next to the hospital or to the property of the hospital or the edu- you know the school. And somebody says, I'd love for you to buy my property because they know that hospitals, schools, other entities like that need to continue to expand or want to continue to expand, or at least have that option. And they say, we think the fair market value of this piece of land is a million dollars. And your comment is, yeah, we don't have a million dollars to pay. You can do a bargain sale. If the true market value, fair market value of that piece of land is a million dollars and the charity nonprofit can pay half of it, 500,000, the charity can also then indicate that a charitable contribution has been made in the difference between what was paid in cash 
and the fair market value. So in our instance, a million dollars for the piece of property, half a million to be paid by the, let's say it was an educational unit or a hospital, there would be a $500,000 charitable deduction that would go with it because the person sold it for less. There's a couple provisos with this. Number one is, and this is the most important part of a bargain sale. It, the charity, the nonprofit can't be setting the fair market value. You can't say, well, we think it's worth a million. There needs to be an outside appraiser that's going to set that level. And the, def- the, the, the protection that the organization needs to present for itself is to never put a charitable dollar amount on the property or on the transaction. It's just a statement of fact that we purchased this property for $500,000 and the seller is going to get an independent appraisal of the land and the difference if above 500 between that number and 500 would be a charitable deduction. I've run into this a number of times in my career where the donor wants a letter that has a dollar figure. Well, you need to tell me that it's worth a million dollars. And my response is, I, I'm not an appraiser. I don't know how to do that. I can ensure that we will give you all the details of the transaction on our letterhead, but you need to go get an independent appraisal of that land to get to the dollar figure of what the land's actually worth. This is becoming more and more important because land prices with houses and others have increased dramatically in the last decade or two. And so someone who purchased a piece of land for $50,000 25 years ago, and if you're in a place like California or New York, certain places in Florida, that could that piece of property for $50,000 30 years ago could be worth 2 or $3 million today. And if they really want the charity to benefit, they can allow the charity to purchase the piece of property or the, the home or the whatever at a discounted rate and receive a charitable deduction. And because prices have gone up so much, there's more cash to be taken out of it in the sale piece. So let's take that $50,000 piece of land with a house on it that was purchased 30, 35 years ago. And it's now it's worth two and a half million dollars because it happens to be in California, which is not an unusual circumstance. They can sell that piece of property for, let's say, half, so 1.25 million in cash and get a tax deduction if the fair market value is 2.5 million, let's assume it is, and get a tax deduction for a million two five. They can carry that forward for seven years and use it against other income. It's incredibly advantageous because remember, the land only costs $30,000 and the capital gains tax will be reduced because you're not going to have as much in that difference between the $30,000 it was originally purchased for, the $50,000 it was originally purchased for, and the two point five. The gap's only going to be half that. So there's some real tax advantages in looking at bargain sales. Here's the other thing. You need a great gift acceptance policy, and we'll talk about this next time, to make sure that there is a process to accepting land, as even if it's purchased in a bargain sale or just outright given to you, to make sure it meets certain standards, to make sure that it's it's uh, an appropriate uh, 
you're covered in terms of environmental concerns and things of that nature that can burden an organization. And we'll talk more about that next time. So today we covered the trusts, big picture, take money out of someone's personal wealth or estate, could be a house, could be cash, could be lots of stock put into an instrument, that trust, that trust is invested. And either they choose to get paid by a percentage of the total every year or a standard amount, same amount every year. And that money then is given on an annual basis of that percentage or those dollar figures. And at the end of that period, or when that individual dies, the charity gets the remainder. The other is a bargain sale, and it's a way to reduce the amount of money that an organization might pay for a piece of property in cash, but also provide a charitable deduction for the seller. Just two additional arrows in your quiver when it comes to plan giving. And again, you don't have to drop the documents. You just have to know what people are looking for, listening for. You need to listen for the the key issues. I'd like to make sure I always have income, or I'd like to guarantee my income, or I've got this piece of property. I don't know what to do with it. Hmm. Lots of different ways to get people to think about their estates and their financial thought, you know, impetus to get them to consider an estate gift of some level. And that may be the biggest gift they're ever, ever able to make. Next time, we'll talk about some of the intricacies around just estate giving, gift acceptance, marketing plans, uh, certainly some things that I would advise in terms of making sure your organization is ready for these things to really hone in on kind of the, the, the programmatic pieces of a good plan giving program. Don't forget, check out the website. That's halletphilanthropy.com. A lot of new stuff there, blogs. There's also now some announcements on success stories. There is information on a study, white papers, a lot of things that are being placed there by the work of the team. Encourage you to take a look. Also, don't forget to make sure you're subscribing or or passing along information saying, hey, this podcast is kind of interesting. If you think so, maybe somebody else could benefit from it as well. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Downcast, Spotify, Our Heart Radio. You can also watch it on YouTube, all kinds of different ways. And if you want to communicate with me, just email podcast at halletphilanthropy.com. My reminder is I do each and every episode. I hope you feel like you're making a difference. If you're in the nonprofit world, you should go to work. doesn't mean there's not trial and tribulation. It doesn't mean that there's not challenges. But what we know is that this is a great profession. And that we're doing good work. You're doing good work. You're making a difference for people. Which brings me to my all-time favorite saying. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then there are those who wondered what happened. In life, we fall into one of those categories. Every second we're breathing. And nonprofit work is all about making things happen for people who are wondering what happened. That's what the definition of philanthropy really means. Love of mankind, love of humankind, making a difference. And I hope you feel that way each and every day that you are helping your organization be all that it can be. Appreciate your time on part three of planned giving. We'll jump into the last section next time on the next episode of Around with Randall. Can't wait to welcome you then. Thank you for your time today. And remember, you have a great day. <laughs>